Good morning. We're talking about new beginnings, newness of life, the reality, the truth that you are a new creation in Christ. So how do we do it? How do we get there? How do we even recognize that we are new? Most of us don't even know that. Last week, we talked about the idea of uh, newness, knowing that we are new, a new creation requires perception. Can you perceive it? Can you see it? Are you able to see what God is doing? Can you see the new thing? Do you have the, the visualization that you're a new creation? And today, we're going to be talking about if you want to be new, you need to change the way you think. You need to have the mind of Christ. All right, so let's get your Bibles out. And we're going to look at the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, and the Gospel of John, chapter 3. I love John. I don't know what it is, and I love this first chapter. This is one of the ones that I meditate on quite a bit. This is a reflection of what we read last week out of Genesis 1. So John 1 and Genesis 1 are parallels. They're almost a reflection. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the very beginning. If you don't know, John is referring to Jesus when he says Word. This is the Logos. This is, Jesus is the Word, and he was with God, and he was God, and he is God. It's amazing. Through him, through Jesus, all things were made, and without him, nothing that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Everything was made through Jesus. It's an amazing thought to think about. The man made you, made me, made the stars, made the planets. Everything was made through Jesus. And yet his own creation could not perceive him. Why? It's because they are in the dark. Have you ever tried to explain the good news of Jesus to somebody that was in darkness, like in complete and utter darkness without hope, and you're trying to explain the Bible or Jesus or God or spirituality to somebody that is, they've got the lights off, and you've got a bright idea, I will engage reason to explain spiritual matters. How well does that work? It doesn't. I mean, the amazing thing about our minds and the amazing thing, the way that things work, is that you can actually come to a faith by engaging your mental capacities. But if you are in darkness, it's going to make no sense. The words coming out of your mouth will not connect to somebody that's in darkness. It's only the, only the light of God that will begin to highlight this stuff to them. Verse 6 says, there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. This is not the John that's writing the book. This is John the Baptist. The John that's writing the book was the closest to Jesus. He was Jesus' friend. 
was Jesus' buddy. Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit entrusted John with some of the deepest and most profound secrets from the Lord that we could possibly imagine. He wrote Revelation. Verse 9, true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He, Jesus, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And then verse 14, the word, logos, Jesus, became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. Uh, tabernacled, made his tent. So the body, the physical body, was Jesus's. It was Logos's. It was the, it was the Word's tent. And he dwelt among us so that he could be like us, understand what we're feeling and going through. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Okay, so what we got here, it's kind of hard to see. It's easy to read right over it. But we have in the beginning, just like it was in Genesis. And everything that God creates in the beginning, it was what? All six days, they were what? They were good. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he declared, he spoke them into existence. He used the word, he used the logos to create the material world, and it was good, amazing, fantastic, brilliant, fabulous, until we screwed it up. That's, that's the thing. Well, let's just blame Adam and Eve instead. How about that? Does that feel better? Let's blame those guys. They messed the whole thing up. But chances are, if you and I were Adam and Eve, we probably would have done the same thing. All right, so let's just be fair. Did you catch what happens when he begins to describe the one who came, the one, the only, was in the world but not of the world everything was made through him and then all of a sudden he shows up on the scene what's going on is we have two creation accounts we have two beginnings the one in the very beginning that incorporated the six and seven the six days and now when jesus comes we have a new creation we have a new beginning And this is what John is highlighting to us. He's contrasting the two. We get to see the second creation. Adam was the first man. Jesus becomes the second Adam. Jesus lives the life that Adam should have lived. And ironically, he dies the the death that Adam should have died. So we have two creations. One is entirely material. And the second, what do you think the second is? Spiritual. Good job, class. <laughs> Chapter 3. Maybe you know this story. Now, there was a man. Chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees. His name was Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Uh, Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, he would have been a church guy, a Bible thumper, a conservative, religious person. 
I always ask myself this kind of question because I'm a Bible guy. I tend to be conservative. I ask myself sometimes, am I a Pharisee? Do my behaviors, or is, it, is it pharisaical? Because they're all about morality. They're all about right and wrong. And if you were not living a good little moral life, the Pharisees would throw the Bible at you, and they would get you. And this is Nicodemus. But Nicodemus had a heart for God. There was something that, that attracted him to Jesus. This is a good sign. Is, is there something in you that's attracting others to Jesus. Think about that thought for a second. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the, mir- the miraculous signs that you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again. You can't perceive it. You cannot have this understanding of the miraculous. It won't make sense to you. Your rational mind will deceive you unless you are born again. Have you heard this term before? It's really popular in the 70s and the 80s, and we actually pushed it into the realm of religiousness. Have you ever heard this term? Are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, but are you a born-again Christian, brother? Remember that? Remember that whole thing? I guess it's a legitimate question, but I think it just, we just messed the whole thing up. We, we missed the whole point. Because when people say, oh, yeah, but are you a born-again Christian? That's a Pharisee attitude. That basically all they're saying is, are you a Christian that behaves themselves? I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. What does that mean? You know, when I was studying this this week, I didn't actually get it entirely. And if I, I don't know, if I read it years ago and I got it then, I forgot about it now. I'm like, what does this mean? Being born of water and then being born of spirit. What does that mean, God? I said, Lord said to me, well, Josh, let me tell you, right? (laughs) Let me explain some things to you. What do you think that it means to be born of water? Physical birth, yeah. What does water do? Cleanses. Had some good hard labor and living nativity and it was good. And you guys got, you get dirty, you get sweaty, you get stinky. Have you ever been working so hard that you just get the grime on you? And you... And you're sweating so much that you just reek and you forgot to use deodorant. And there's just, you're just gross. The, the best thing to do is, in my opinion, is just to jump into the pool. And it's just to just like have all that stuff just come off you. Or you get yourself into the shower and you just, you just, it just, this that cleansingness that takes place with the water. 
If you have stepped across the line of faith, and then what does the Bible say? If you have declared with your mouth, and, and if you believe in your heart and declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you are what? You are saved, and you are washed, and you are forgiven, and you become a new creation. You actually get the spirit of the Lord. You get that Jesus inside of you when you've made that decision. You have been born of water. You guys like Oswald Chambers? Raise your hand if you know who Oswald Chambers is. The guy will mess you up. What's his, uh, what's his thing? What's his book? I forget. My Utmost for His Highest. You read this book? You love it. It changes your life. You ready for this? Oswald Chambers says that most Christians have Jesus, the spirit of Jesus inside of them, but they don't have the mind of Christ. To be born of the spirit is altogether a different and a new thing. There's many of Christian that has been born of water, but they've never taken the chance or the opportunity to be born of the Spirit. So what does it mean? Well, just again, from last week, it is the perception. How do you perceive God? How do you perceive yourself? Do you see yourself as that new creation? As we learned about in Romans 6 last week, you put off the old self and you put on the new. You, get off, you take the old shirt off and you get rid of it. You put the new shirt on because the new shirt's better than the old shirt, even though you feel comfortable in the old shirt. The way that the, the, the language is used and, and you know, putting off the old, the old, the definition of old, it's old. It's, and it comes off this way. It translates this way. It's tired it's wore out. It's useless. And that is your old self. So turn to your neighbor and say, you're old and tired and useless and wore out. No, don't do that. Don't do that. I did this first service and everybody did it. I was like, no, that's not the point of this. That is your old self. We are to get rid of it. You know what we do? You know what our human nature is to do? If you're around this church quite a bit, you'll, you'll hear this saying, don't go back to Egypt. What does that mean? The children of God were in slavery inside of Egypt, right? And God set them free through divine action. And they always had this, this desire to return back to what they were they, what they were used to, what was comfortable, what was easy. They always had food even though they were under slavery, don't go back to Egypt. And many of the evangelical Christians, we just we, we try to do life and make it better inside of Egypt instead of going into the promised land, what God's called us to do. Because we've changed, we, we're not, we haven't been transformed in the way that we think. Jesus says you can't put new wine into an old wineskin. That's like trying to do Christianity inside of Egypt. No, he wants you to do it inside the promised land. He wants you to be born of spirit. It's like getting a Jesus sticker and putting it on some aspect of your life. 
I have an old person. I have this area of my life. I want to fix my old self. So I'm going to stick Jesus onto this old thing. That's, that's old, it's your old wineskin. No, you don't try and fix your old person. Identify yourself in your new person that God has created for you. Sculptors are, are brilliant at this. They, they look at a, a block of stone and they can see the person or the, the, the creation inside of the rock. Michelangelo was a master of it. He did a whole series called the Slave Series where the, the, the figure is breaking out of the rock and we think that he intentionally did not finish the sculptures so that you could see the figure trying to break out of the rock. What's the idea? The idea is, is that God is going to break off everything on you that does not belong. But I like my old stuff. I feel comfortable with it. It gives me, I'm just used to it. It's warm. It's fuzzy. And what, I guess you could say, I don't know. If you ask me, I'm like, you're, I don't know. I'll say something rude or something, right? But you know what God says? Where I might like beat you up with the Bible or something like, you're an idiot. You're a sinner. Don't do that. That's, you don't want to come to me for pastoral counseling at times. I'm like, you did what? You did what? What did you do? Are you kidding me? Were you born yesterday? Oh my gosh, what's the matter with you? That's what I would do. You know what God would do? You know what God does? He says, oh, you have this thing? You're in darkness here? I have something better. Let's exchange it. You give me this, and I'm going to give you this. And this is better. So let me have this. And then we just, you know, right? It's like, no, 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 no I want my old shirt, right? We, don't, we just do this. We need to change the way that we think about that stuff. We need to be, what does the Bible say? We need to be transformed, transformation. We need to be transformed by what? The renewing of our minds. Renewing of our minds. Um, this, this is a scripture I want to show you. This is 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 16. Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? So Paul's saying, who can understand the mind of God? It's impossible, right? Does that make sense? How can we understand the ways of the Lord? He's eternal. He's immense. Uh, Paul's actually quoting Isaiah here. This is, he's not making this up right now. He says, who could possibly understand the mind of God? It's impossible. comes off as who can fathom God's mind. And then Paul flips it so hard, and if you don't pay attention, you're going to miss it. He says, but we have the mind of Christ. That's the new thing. What Isaiah was writing about was the old thing. There's no way that you could possibly understand the mind of God. It's in, you just can't do it. And Paul says, no. Here is the new thing. You can understand God because you have Christ's mind. You have the mind of Christ. We have major issues in our culture and our society about identity, right? I blame, I blame the baby boomers. They started the whole thing. No, 
It's human nature. We don't know who we are. It's not the baby boomer's fault. Millennials are hung up on it right now, too. That's just because they're young and they're trying to figure themselves out. We have crazy ideas about sexual identity right now, right? Trying to figure out who we are. Like, I don't know, who am I? I don't know. All right, bear with me. This will make sense. I'm going to shock the pants off a lot of you. (laughs) How crazy does it sound that I have a lesbian inside of my body? Or my wife has a gay man inside of her body? Like, we make it work, right? It all balances out, right? Oh, Josh. (laughs) See? It worked for service. It really did. Um, isn't that crazy talk? It's like, oh, I've got somebody else stuck inside of me. You know, we have grown men that think that they're women and, and vice versa. Then they do the change, and they're even more confused than they were before, right? And I'm not just making this stuff up from a religious, moral standpoint. These people are lost, and they're confused, and they don't know who they are. We do. We do. No, I don't have somebody else inside of me that's trying to get out. You know what I do have inside of me? I have Jesus inside of me. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. So literally, I have an alpha male inside of me who has a brilliant mind, who can overcome any obstacle. Anything that Jesus puts his mind to, he can accomplish. And that power is inside of me, and it's inside of you, and it's wanting and willing to get out. That is my identity. I am in Christ. And once I learn this truth and my mind understands this concept that I am in him and he is in me, everything begins to change. When I am in Christ, Jesus is in heaven, I can actually and literally move my issues, my problems, my whatever, into heavenly places where Jesus can fix them and it's super easy for him. We must have the mind of Christ. And so how do we do it? What's the application? How do you, because maybe you're thinking to yourself, yeah, maybe I've been born of water. I feel set free. I feel washed of my sins. But how do I do what Josh is saying? How do I uh, not think in an Old Testament way where I don't understand the ideas or the, 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 the functions of God? How do I actually do it? How do I move myself from an Old Testament way of thinking into a New Testament way of thinking? How do I get beyond the law and begin to move inside of the realms of grace? Well, this is what I have for you today. You're not going to like the word. Their culture doesn't like the word. But I'll, I'll shift the word a bit. It requires spiritual discipline. It's really easy to get saved. It's very difficult to grow in spiritual maturity. It's really easy to win that battle of salvation, and, but it's, it's, it's also really easy to lose the battle of empowerment. 
You see, there is salvation grace, and then there is empowering grace. To be born of water means you're saved. To be born of the Spirit means that you are empowered. Did you see that's the difference? To be empowered means that you begin to practice this lifestyle. Again, the word is discipline. Who likes that word, right? No one likes that word. But do you know that in the Bible, in the New Testament, whenever, the, whenever he talks about the, the discipline of the Spirit, whenever he talks about the fruit of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, that we must discipline ourselves to grow in, guess what's on the other side of that little bit of work? It's joy and delight and fun and meaning and purpose and identity, whatever you want, whatever you need, if you just begin to practice being in the Spirit, you will begin to develop that mind of Christ. You will understand that you do have that alpha male inside of you. Ladies, I know that might be difficult to think about, but guys, we have to be the bride of Christ. It all doesn't make any sense. But man, it's something. It is too good to be true to think that we can actually have Jesus' mind inside of us. Practice it. Practice worship. How do you practice worship? You're consistent at it, right? Sometimes we worship because... Frankly, there's an entertainment factor to it. Man, I really felt good. If you, leave a, if you leave a church worship service and you're like, yeah, that didn't really do anything for me today, guess what? You're not practicing worship. You're being entertained. Does that make sense? Because we are in the band. Worship is good when it flows. When you worship in, when you worship in spirit and in truth, If you're in entertainment mode, just begin to practice the lifestyle of worship. And it's not all songs, by the way. Practice prayer. I'm on a prayer kick right now. Practicing prayer. Sometimes it's not easy. I'll be the first to admit, I'm a guy. Praying doesn't come naturally to most men. Ladies have a really easy way of tapping into a spiritual prayer life because they're just, most of them are just wired intuitively. For guys, it takes practice to get into God's presence in prayer. It's kind of like working out. Working out never feels good at the very beginning. I don't even like working out at all. It's like, why am I going to the gym to perform manual labor? This is not fun for me, right? Um, but you know what is fun is when the workout pays off and I can actually compete better or the work off pay, the workout pays off and I actually feel better. And maybe if I'm lucky, I get a rush of endorphins or whatever, but you see that there is pleasure that's attached to it. And this is true for your prayer life. This is true for practicing God's presence. Like in pastor life, in pastor world, that we've got, I've got all these pastor friends. There's all these different types of ministries and parachurch ministries and all these different things that are going on. And everybody wants to invite me to their prayer meeting. I'm like, oh no, please, like not, the, not another prayer meeting. I hate prayer meetings. 
I can't even make my own prayer meetings, and you want me to come to your prayer meeting? No, because what's going to happen? You get a room with a bunch of pastors, and they're going to they're going to whine about themselves the whole time, and then I leave depressed. Like, if you ever leave a prayer meeting depressed, you're in the wrong prayer meeting. Because anything that we do, anything that we practice that does not lead to a transformation of the mind where you see yourself in heavenly places, you're not doing it right. If you leave any type of a prayer meeting, Bible study, church service, and you feel worse about yourself than they did when you moved in or when you, when you went to it, I just don't know if God's in it. Does God, will he convict you of your sin? Yes. But you should feel better afterwards. <laughs> what do they say? There is no depression in heaven, so let's move ourselves into heaven. Your old person's depressed. You don't want to be that person anymore. You want to be the new person. This is what happens in prayer. When you practice it, it could be difficult. Because we inhabit the praises of the Lord with whinings and complainings and grumblings and gripings, right? Oh, God, why, did you, why have you forsaken me? And, okay, there is room for this. There is room for it. Because what does the Bible say? It says you are to, you are to uh, uh, present your request to the Lord. There is petitioning prayer. And this Next week, we're, we're, we're opening up another uh, Sunday morning of intercessory prayer. You're all invited to come if you'd like. We meet in the Creekside Room at 8.30. If it's your first time, come. And we, we're just going to practice prayer. And this is what happens. The petitions come out. They are legitimate. Um, they're appropriate. It is okay to say, God, I, we need help in this area. We need protection in this area. God, our heart breaks for these people over here. Um, and then, we, what does the Bible say? The, the God inhabits the praises of his people. And then our people have been trained to begin to praise the Lord and give thanks in all circumstances, no matter what. And things begin to change. I don't quite understand where the shift takes place. But when we are just practicing, when we are tilling that ground, when we are going after the presence, and it's actually happening in water, it's actually it's happening in the material, it's the flesh, it's the things that we need, it's the things that we're crying out to God for, somewhere along the line, when it's done in a corporate setting, something changes. I can't explain it. I just know when it happens. Something changes, and we move from our minds into the mind of God. And then we begin to pray his prayers, and he begins to function and flow through us. What do you think about that? That's pretty cool. Those are not boring prayer meetings. Those are empowered prayer meetings that are being prayed in the spirit. Good thing to practice. So that's the take home for today. Practice God's presence. You have been saved, you've been washed. But be born of the Spirit. You can only practice this stuff here. You can't practice it in heaven. What is done here, the practices and the, the disciplines that we take pleasure in here, we can't do it there. 
We have an opportunity to do it here. You only have so many Sundays to worship God here. Cool? It's too good to be true? It is. It is too good to be true. Got a special treat for you. Uh, Kimberly, come on up. She's going to give us a testimony of what God's been doing in her life, and she's going to give us the call to prayer afterwards. There she is. Hey, everyone. Wasn't that amazing? Pastor Josh never, we never miss. A Sunday, like, he never misses to pierce some heart in this room. You know, it's amazing. I've had friends that say, like, the first time they come to church, it's like the pastor was speaking directly to them. Like, gosh, we've been doing this a long time, and I feel like he's still speaking directly to me. It's so cool how the Holy Spirit does that. Um, so I'm here today to tell you about um, an amazing, two amazing experiences I've gotten to do recently, and it's so exciting to me to share it with you. At first service, it just flowed so easily. I just depended on the Holy Spirit to make sure I knew what I was saying, and I'm going to do that with you guys, too. I don't know who was here, but a pastor by the name of Steve Ugin, 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 amazing man, came, and he spoke to us a few weeks ago about Love L.A., and as he spoke, he told us about um, Metro Train, riding on the Metro Train and doing Metro Church. And everything inside my body exploded. I wanted to be on that train so bad. I wanted to be part of telling people about Jesus. And I was so excited that I even chased him to the back of the room to say, I want to be on that train. And he thought I was a little crazy. But then he said, you can be. Just go to the training and do what everyone else does. And I did. I showed up for the training. I signed the little form that said I wouldn't be crazy and I would follow with what the trainee said to do. And then I showed up. And I got to ride the train back and forth in L.A. and get off in Chinatown, and I got to talk to people about Jesus. What Josh was teaching about today, what Pastor Josh was saying, is that the Holy Spirit is real. And we are reborn again with the Holy Spirit. He's inside of us, and he comes alive, and he teaches, and he, he guides us where we need to be. It was so amazing because when I stepped on that train, I asked the Holy Spirit, where do I sit? And I sat down next to a woman who was so broken and angry. And as I started to talk to her, she spewed the world all over me. She was angry about politics and hate and things that were happening in the world. And I listened and I prayed silently inside my head and I said, Lord, tell me when I need to say the, can I pray for you? And I did. And it melted that woman's heart. The fact that she heard people on the train worshiping, the Holy Spirit, the environment changed. Those people who were angry, heading to work or heading home from work or dealing, that don't want to look you in the eyes. They don't want to look up from what they're doing. They don't want to participate in real life because they're broken and they're hurting. And when I prayed for her, I said, is there anything specifically I can pray for you for? And she said, yes, I have a daughter with epilepsy. For those of you guys who don't know my husband, Michael, and I and our girls, the reason that we stepped into the ministry of healing that God called us into it was we have a daughter with epilepsy and cerebral palsy. She has been healed. We have not had a seizure in over eight, almost nine months. That's right. God's amazing. God is amazing. She herself told us she was healed because she knew. She felt the Holy Spirit touch her. When the Holy Spirit puts you in that place, he put that woman and I in the train together with common wisdom about the same thing. And she heard me, she heard the Holy Spirit, and she allowed me to pray for her. 
I ran into three people that day that all wanted prayer over epilepsy in LA, somewhere where I know no one where I am. The Holy Spirit knows what he's doing, guys. And you know what he wants to do? He wants to use every one of us to reclaim his people, to reclaim the people that he loves. He wants us to go out there in the world and wake people up. He wants us to go back and remind them their destiny and that they're loved. That day, a little blonde hair girl like me was walking around Chinatown, not the safest area for someone like me. And I never had fear one time. I never felt fear. I can't tell you how many people I ran into that wanted to hear the gospel, that loved that I would look them directly in the eyes and allow them to feel love and peace. Because they're out there and they need it, but why aren't we doing it? The one thing that Steve said that really got me and that every one of you will agree with, do we believe that the Bible is completely true? Like, does everyone in this room believe that the Bible is real and holy and true? And we're all going to say yes or we wouldn't be here, right? then why are we not saying it to every single person that we come in contact with? Why are we not teaching them about it and showing them the Bible? We don't have to know every word in the Bible. You don't have to know every scripture. You don't have to be a scholar or a pastor. The Bible said that every one of us is to go out and speak the good news to people. He didn't say, go to college for four years before you go out and talk to people. He said, go share my good word with the world. Because guess what? You may be the only one that gets to go out and do it. And the Bible also says that when you go out in his name, he will equip you with what you need. And that's the Holy Spirit. He's going to equip us with what we need. You can just be like me. I'm a stay-at-home mom of a child with special needs who stepped into our destiny of a healing ministry. That day in L.A., we saw healings. We saw people receive Jesus We saw people who were broken just receive peace on the train as they heard worship music played. We also saw anger. We saw people who tried to stop us from telling the people about the good word. And I learned. I learned from people in that ministry. I watched them. I watched them react in Jesus' way to people who were trying to come against the gospel. The gospel cannot be beat by any one person with anger. It cannot be knocked down by people on a train who don't want to hear us speak. These people reacted out of love. The man who was on the train with me said, I hear you, brother, and I thank you for your honesty, but I'm going to go ahead and keep talking about Jesus to the people behind you. He didn't get angry. He didn't get broken, and he didn't get offended because the gospel of Jesus has to be shared. And it was amazing. I saw healings. I saw the most amazing things. The other amazing thing that I'm here to talk to you guys about is our Sunday night presence nights. Our pastors in this church have created a night where you can come and spend the most intimate, amazing time with God in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And there is an amazing group of people that come. And these people are receiving huge things from the Holy Spirit while they're here. But this room should be full. Every one of you should be in there on Sunday night. Everybody, last week, the most amazing young guy received the Holy Spirit in a way he was not expecting. And he began laughing uncontrollably. For those of you that that makes uncomfortable, I'm really sorry, but it is the greatest feeling in the world to not be able to control laughter, and it has nothing to do with you. It's the Holy Spirit. And it became contagious. 
I was honored to be able to pray over this guy as it happened. And every time I put my hands back on him to continue praying, I couldn't quit laughing. And I kept thinking, God, I'm sure there's things I'm supposed to be saying, but I can't quit laughing. And it just, people in the corner started laughing. And then this beautiful young man stood up and started touching people, and they started laughing. It was the most cleansing, joyful laughter that you will ever feel. And it's real, and it's the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are created to spend time with our Creator. They are created to spend intimate, one-on-one time with a Creator who loves us beyond what we can imagine. And when we don't do that, that's when we get sick. That's when we feel depression and confusion and chaos, and we can't calm our, our nerve endings down because we are not doing what our bodies need. Sunday nights are your chance. They're your chance to be here. There's no rules. You don't have to sit in a chair. You don't have to worship like everyone else. You just have to come. The Holy Spirit's going to be here no matter what. Right now, there are a hundred reasons that you guys can think of of why a Sunday night won't work for you. I can tell you ten right off the top of my head that make it so that I can't be here tonight. But guess what? None of those matter. None of those reasons matter. Those reasons are from the enemy anyway. He knows that he doesn't want you here to be with God. Put those aside. Start your Sunday night in the presence of Jesus. Allow him to just fill you with a joy that you can't control, that you can't stop no matter what. And Monday will no longer feel like a Monday. It'll feel amazing. And your week, you will go out and you will be what people need to see. The following week, I ran a picture day at my daughter's school, at an elementary school. And at the end of the 600 kids going through taking their pictures, the photographer of the day came to me in the middle of a multi-purpose room in an elementary school. It's not a church. There is nothing magical. There's definitely nothing, you know, churchy in one of those. And she broke down in tears. And in that moment, she accepted Jesus Christ right there. Do you know why? It has nothing to do with the person standing in front of you right now. It's the fact that the Holy Spirit is all over me everywhere I go. And he attracts people to you because he knows you're the one that's going to lead them to him. But come on a Sunday night. Come tonight. Guess what? Next week is a Thanksgiving dinner. You won't get the chance. Tonight's the night. You have to come. And we will be here and the Holy Spirit's here. Okay? All right, I get the honor of leading us out in prayer, so thank you. Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for a, bef- I thank you for, um, I forgot everyone. I forgot to invite you all back for prayer. <laughs> so what I, I did want to say before we pray, I'm sorry. I stand in the back of this room every Sunday morning. When Pastor Josh or Pastor Jonathan tells you guys, come on back, and have someone um, stand in prayer with you for what's going on. Every week I pray over you. I pray, Lord, let this be the week that they're not afraid to come back. Let this be the week that they know that if they come back and they get prayer, that you can actually solve the problems that they have going on inside of them right now. I pray that this is the week that you don't let your fear overtake the reality that if you stand with someone in prayer, God can do anything. So if you guys are here today and God is pulling at your heart, and he is, he's pulling at every one of you, there are many people in the back that can pray with you right now, an amazing team.
Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much. I thank you for a church, a pastor, a team of people that want to speak your life into us every Sunday. I thank you that every week they go to war on their knees for the people that walk into this church. I just thank you that you are real and you are amazing and you are loving and wonderful and there is nothing that this world can throw at us that you can't fix. Holy Spirit, come alive in us this week. Highlight the amazing knowledge and wisdom that Pastor Josh put into us today, this week while we walk around and send people into our presence that want to feel you. I thank you. Amen.